0: Welcome to the Inside OSU podcast, I'm Robin Hearn. According to the CDC, diabetes is the seventh leading cause of death in the United States. More than 30 million people in the U.S. have diabetes, one in four of them don't know that they have it. This is a major public health issue that costs the United States over $200 billion a year. Dr. Heather Fallenkamp, Associate Professor in Chemical Engineering, began researching ways to do tissue replacement for those dealing with diabetes. On this week's podcast, Dr. Fallenkamp sat down with OSU Vice President of Research, Dr. Kenneth Sewell, to discuss how tissue engineering is improving a person's health. If you hear a little noise in the background, it's because they recorded this at the Research on Tap event. Here now is the interview with Dr. Heather Fallenkamp on this week's Inside OSU podcast.
1: So
2: I'm a chemical engineer by training, and with my degrees in bioengineering as well. Um, by my research is actually in tissue engineering and so for tissue engineering um, which is still pretty new field um, I got into that because of my interest in diabetes research and so um, growing up I have a lot of family members that have diabetes and there's actually a pretty high um, rate of diabetes in the state of Oklahoma especially the Native American population Seeing how that affected my family, um, I was very close to my grandmother growing up, and she would have to go and get dialysis. And so when I would go with her for the dialysis treatment, on one hand, I was fascinated that here was this machine um, that we were able to build and help keep people alive that didn't have any function of their kidneys anymore, uh, that could filter the blood, get rid of water and waste products. Um, But on the other hand, looking at her quality of life, Um, it wasn't very good and so thinking about how could I maybe contribute um, to the diabetes area to the biomedical area and in so doing so I explored different fields and it just so happened that it coincided with the, the the birth I would say of tissue engineering was the late 80s early 90s and this thought that you could engineer you could actually make parts of the body Uh, for tissue replacement, so for people like diabetes and um, they don't have function of their pancreas or their kidneys, we could build a tissue replacement to put back in and hopefully regain function and then they wouldn't have to go through processes like dialysis and things and other complications. And so So that's what- that was the promise of
1: tissue engineering, Mm -hmm. or at least at the time, that that vision. Exactly. Um, So, some, some connection here with rejection, mm-hmm. though, right? I mean, so part of, part of tissue engineering's difficulty is, is the body's defenses against things that, um,
2: exactly. that are foreign so, to it. Exactly. So my early work in the area, um, as I went through grad school, was I worked on a bioartificial pancreas. And so just as the name describes, the bio part was finding the living cells and tissues similar to what's in your body, And then the artificial part was the um, materials um, that you could put everything into in order to put into the body to try to evade the immune system. I worked for several years in that area. I got to see some progress, but there were several challenges. And one of the major challenges was the immune system. Anytime you put anything foreign gets into the body, your body will fight that off through the works of the immune system, which is a good thing, because we want that. If we have a virus or bacteria, we want our body to be able to kill that and so that we don't have complications. But in this case, when we're trying to put in something to the body as a treatment, and we want the body to be able to accept that and use that as its normal tissue or organ, preventing the immune system was, was a big challenge. Couple other challenges was finding the biological materials. So this was early on before um, stem cell technology, which some may know about that, that we're able to actually engineer cells now that behave like our own cells. And so before that, we had to rely on donor tissue, and there was always a shortage. And then the third challenge was no matter how good of an engineer um, you you try to be, you're never going to engineer something as good as what was in the original um, body. And so having to replace it, it had a a finite lifespan, and so we'd have to have ways to replace that tissue often.
1: So then the immune system, we're, 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 we're working our way towards... Mm-hmm. this whole notion of a model here. yes. And I, I presume this is never gonna be the goal to like replace the immune system with an artificial immune system.
2: Right, Th- that's, right. That's kind of so,
1: not the point. So why create a model of the, an engineer, why engineer a model of the, the immune system?
2: Well, it was because of those challenges, um, you know, and that's why even now, after 20 years um, developed in the field, you still can't buy any organs or tissues off the shelf yet. And so um, when I completed my um, work in grad school and I started working for a biotech company called Vax Design as a tissue engineer, they had a different approach. And so they thought, instead of coming up with a model or tissue replacement back in the body, uh, can we develop something that just serves as a model that we can study what goes on in the body? And so for the case of diabetes, if we can develop still a pancreas, um, but instead of putting it in the body, we have it on the bench top, we can study and see the effects of what causes diabetes and maybe how we can prevent it, then we don't need the replacement tissue um, down the road. And so as an engineer, you know, this really intrigued me because you're working more upstream to the problem. Let's, let's prevent it instead of working out treatments, let's work up solutions. And so um, doing that, in this the company that I work for, they wanted just to, to develop an immune system in general just to study a broad array of different things and how it affects the immune system. So our, our kind of lofty goal at the time uh, was, can we mimic what goes on in the body with the, the entire immune system?
1: Mimic, create a model. So part of what's difficult about all this, I mean, we're, we're, we're having this conversation. We don't use visual aids. We're mm-hmm. just having this conversation it's hard for me to picture, what is this thing? I mean, if I'm looking at the model, what am I looking at?
2: So um, we target different tissue areas. And so one of the more recent areas that I target is the lungs, for instance. And again, even the lungs are very complex if you think about um, the structure and all the cells and functions involved. And so we, we actually even focus down on the lower respiratory system. Um, where that air exchange, and that's also where a lot of the um, viral infections occur. And so if we can build, again, the, the model of the lung, so in this case, we make a three-dimensional matrix, and so we take proteins and things that naturally are found in skin and tissues in the body, and we build a three-dimensional, either a porous scaffold or a, a gel that's very cell-friendly, and then we part, start Building in the complexity by putting in the cells that we know um, are responsible for that particular tissue. And so, for my lung model that I work with, it has um, four different types of lung cells. And we get these cells from human donors or from um, adult stem cell technology. So, these are adult cells, just like you would find in your body and your lungs. And we build up a model of the lung. And then, with that, we can test it by um, infecting it with different pathogens so for instance we have the the flu season is quickly approaching and it's it's a challenge the vaccines aren't always very effective there's lots of complications in certain populations with the flu and so we can infect this model with the flu and then study how the immune system either should react or in some cases doesn't react and it happens complications as a result
1: so you're looking at this under a microscope is this a tiny model is it a you said three-dimensional but i know Mm -hmm. that can be still tiny so this is basically in a dish kind of
2: in a uh, dish so so very small you can see the actual samples with your naked eye but the actual cells and the the components you do need a microscope and lots of different techniques so to to test the
1: reactions you need Mm -hmm. the equipment but it's it's still big enough to see but we're not talking about a lung model that
2: right right
1: sits up on a on a pedestal yeah. Shaped like a lung we're talking about at a cellular level. Yes.
2: Yeah, and that's what we always remind is it's Functionally equivalent not structurally equivalent. Yeah. So it, it doesn't look like an actual lung
1: but at a uh, tissue level it does what lung tissue Yes
2: mimics what, mm-hmm. what lung
1: tissue does yeah. You mentioned you mentioned stem cells and I think that you know there, There's been a lot of controversy about embryonic stem cells. You mentioned adult stem mm-hmm. cells. I wanted to to just go a little farther into that to help people understand kind of that difference and and where stem cell research fits in with Mm -hmm. with what you do.
2: So so the cells that we use, again, um, we can get them from donor tissue, but it's very difficult to get the number of cells and the type of cells that we need. And so um, cell biologists over the years have been able to find certain cells that circulate in our um, blood even as adults Um, That have these properties that they can differentiate or change into pretty much any cell type in the body Under the right conditions and influence and so we we take that um, We isolate those cells so we actually get um, human blood samples from the blood bank and from that We can sort out the cells that we need and then use those cells to develop the specific um, type of cells in this case lung cells that we would use or immune cells as well
1: now, Oklahoma has Actually, kind of taken a little bit of a innovative approach to trying to fund some, mm-hmm. some adult stem cell research uh, off of the tobacco settlement yes. money, I believe, so have you been involved with with that program? I think it's called the the Oklahoma Center for Adult Stem Cell Research that yes. was part of something that was set up after uh, after the the tobacco settlements and the, the uh, tobacco settlement endowment trust was was mm-hmm. established so how, how does how does that how does that work where you plug into those funds
2: yes I've been very fortunate to have um, a couple grants from that organization and so for one um, again I was building a model that would study the immune response in the lungs and for that funding I was also working because I should mention um, you know I never do this isolated or on my own you know I'm an engineer but for some of the things that I'm studying, it's very complex biology and immunology, and so I work with collaborators all over the country. Uh, Specifically within the state, I work with a collaborator at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation, um, Susan, Dr. Susan Kobatz, who's an immunologist, and so I collaborated with her to put a grant together, and we were funded um, to continue to develop this model, and hopefully the model can be used not just what we're using, but for researchers all over the state um, to be able to study the immune response to different um,
1: pathogens fantastic now one of the things that also intrigues me about researchers of different types is when you onboard graduate students because mm-hmm. you, you you work in such an interdisciplinary frame um, it's it's interesting to me to think about what what does your a brand new graduate student come to work with you mm-hmm. what do, what do they have to do learn that maybe is outside the classroom to be able to work in your lab? Because this doesn't seem like the stuff that your freshman and sophomore uh, Chem E classes is gonna really prepare them completely to, to do, or is it?
2: Right, no, it doesn't, and I mean, my training, you know, as an engineer going into learning cell biology and immunology, it's, it's a lot to learn. But fortunately, I get a lot of them, um, very bright engineering students that are very creative, innovative, um, work very hard, and so they come in, they learn the, the cell biology. They learn you know, how to work with cells. Um, usually, it takes many iterations. We have a lot of dead cells to begin with, but eventually uh, thankfully, they can those keep dead them cells
1: are already separated off from the humans e- that exactly. they might have once belonged yeah, they, to. Yeah.
2: They won't have any problems, yeah. but um, they, eventually they learn, and they can build the model, and they become one of my recent grads, is now a postdoc um, at Harvard Medical School program, working um, in allergy and immunology lab.
1: Okay, so the immune systems, are there other body parts or, or, or organ systems that you've you talked about, the pancreas, mm-hmm. the lungs, any other models that you've, that you've worked on?
2: Um, the other one that's the next probably most developed is an allergy model. And so, again, I kind of got into this because, um, you know, as engineers, we look for what, what's the need, you know, what's the problem to solve or how can we maybe help improve um, life. And so for allergies, there's a high prevalence now of allergens and different allergies, especially for kids, and no treatments. There's not been a lot of research in the field for many, many years. And so looking at the existing models, there weren't very good predictive models about how, you know, everybody, nobody still really knows um, how an allergic immune response, why some people are allergic to things like peanuts and others aren't, and why some... Um, can actually have severe complications. And so, thinking about if we, in a lot of these things too that I mentioned, it's very difficult to test in people, you know, to find test subjects that are willing to either have a. be
1: exposed, be exposed to exposed something to, that. to influenza really hurt them. Yeah.
2: or to a possibly hazardous um, um, allergy response. And so, building a model, again, putting the right components, the right cells that we know are involved with an allergy response. Um, to build an allergy model.
1: So some of those allergies are related to the lungs, so it fits with mm-hmm. that,
2: yes.
1: some of them skin allergies?
2: Some skin, um, we, we actually specifically studied dust mite allergy, dust because mite. it's the, the most prevalent in the population, that, you we know, don't most want to talk, We don't want
1: to talk are, about dust no, mites. No,
2: no, <laughs> that's coming up, and we're hitting that allergy season. Yeah. If we can get through the outdoor allergens, then we'll have the indoor ones coming up in the winter.
1: Gotcha. So. Heather, what's, what's, in, what's in the future? And, and I mean this kind of in big picture. Where is all this heading? You, you got into this with, a, with a, a conception of where it might be heading. The world has intervened both in positive and negative ways, I think. Mm-hmm. Stem, uh, uh, the uh, stem cell research has come up since, since then and become an asset to this research. Some of the visions of just being plug and play organs maybe haven't come, but what, what's in the future of this?
2: So ideally, and as engineers, you know we're we're the applied scientists. So we, it's it's great that we can find new knowledge and how things work. But eventually, at the end of the day, we want to have something that's useful, something that hopefully will impact people's lives, you know, soon. And so um, for me, it's it's really starting to target to personalized medicine. And so being able not just to study the immune system and the response to things like influenza or allergens. But to be able to study it you know in, in you and you and you you know specifically um, taking a sample of your blood putting it in a system and being able to tell you and be able to screen here you know think how you're going to respond or here's the treatments you're going to need specifically um, for your problems and so i think that's really where a lot of this is heading
1: so even some of the things like what what drugs we might have an allergic reaction mm-hmm. to rather than finding that out by having that dangerous, maybe even life-threatening reaction. So this isn't creating a model of the immune system, it's creating a model of my immune system.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: How will that, what will you need from me to, to create that model? How, how will that work?
2: So we're, you know, we're working to the point, and hopefully this is in the, yeah. the future where just a drop of blood.
1: Will you need to sequence it? You need to know my genetic sequence in order to go from there to the model?
2: Not at, at this point. You know, okay. maybe eventually yeah. once we find out maybe what you're responsive to, then we can start digging a little deeper and, and find the you know exact genetic information or the pathways that we can, you know, maybe um, uh, manipulate. But for now, it's just looking at what are you responsive to, what are the best treatments for you yeah. at this time?
0: Special thanks to Dr. Fallenkamp for sitting down with Dr. Sewell and giving more of an insight on how her research is striving to improve the lives of people living with diabetes and a person's immune system. Catch OSU's research on tap on the third Monday of every month during the academic year at 5:30 at Stillwater's Iron Monk. That's the Inside OSU podcast for this week. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. I'm Robin Hearn. Thanks for listening.